This is Behind the DM Screen. It is May of 2019. Did I get the date right? Yes. I've I've had like a month off of doing any podcasting because I've been uh, writing my dissertation and going crazy with my PhD. So uh, hopefully this process ends very, very soon. Uh, That said, this is Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. Uh, and we have a guest DM with us this time along. Uh, as usual, we have Sam Dillon. Say hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Uh, but we have no Mike today because he's off on vacation for a while. Uh, congratulations to him being able to take some time off and relax. <laughs> Uh, but instead, we have, by recommendation of people on Twitter, we have Joshua. Josh, welcome. Hi, good to be here. So uh, we get to, to class up the joint a little bit with, jo- with the addition of Josh this, uh, this episode. Uh, but Josh gets to wait until the end to talk about his game. Of course, you can always jump in and, and uh, tell Sam and I what we're do- doing wrong with our games. Um, <laughs> but Sam gets to start us off. So, um, Sam, <coughs> I'm yes. going to kind of keep an eye. Okay, I have a timer on. Okay, I don't have my phone because my kids are using it for right now. But uh, I have my phone. I can, I can put it on. I, okay, I also have the, the, the recording timer so I can watch it there too. All right, go ahead, Sam. You're up. 15 minutes. All right, I'm setting my timer. See now. Okay, okay. there it goes. All right. Uh, okay, well, geez. Um, so I had some time off, but then I recently got back to gaming, and I am doing two different things right now. I have been running some play tests for the illustrious Mike Shea, so I can't really give details about what I what I've been running, but I can tell you that who I have been running is a couple of young teenagers, 13 and 15 year old Hmm. uh, boys who were really interested in getting into D and D. And, and so I've been trying to teach them how to play and uh, it's freaking fantastic. I mean, it's, it is so fun. It's, it's amazing. I, I, I like to teach new players a lot and doing this just reminds me of how much I like that. And it's especially great because it's one of my coworkers, kids, and, uh, and they're having a great time and I'm having a great time. So, uh, no details about the, the adventure that I'm running, because as I said, it's a, it's a play test. So, so is, I don't it, wanna, is it a uh, group of just the two of them? It's just the two of them. Okay. Yes. That's a small group. Oh, wow. So you've got, yeah, you've got group. both a small group and you've got new players and you've got young players. Yes, okay. and and no pregens. They're playing their own characters, uh-huh, uh-huh. so it's it's a lot of fun. Um, it's it's pretty interesting because I think you know when I started, it was a very long time ago, mm. and even teaching players, you know, fifteen years ago, uh, was different from now. You know, there's just been this huge proliferation of video games and movies, and and also, of course, streaming. But of course, these kids don't watch streaming, so they don't really have. They didn't really have an expectation from streaming in terms okay. of what they thought the game was going to be. So, it's really it feels really pure because they their expectations are about fantasy books that they read and fantasy movies they've seen. Um, and so it's it it's really fun. It's a it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot different from when I taught people twenty years ago sure. or thirty and I, years and ago. I'm, and I'm curious, what's the, what what do you feel is the difference between 
teaching teenagers versus teaching adults how to play the game? I think uh, teenagers um, just in general are – Oh boy, that's a tough question because uh, <laughs> I mean, what I'm I ha- about to say I have thoughts on it too because like... I, I taught lots of yeah. middle school kids, but I'm uh, curious what your observations are. I feel like once they're comfortable, the teenagers are a lot better at just feeling dumb and asking a question, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when they want to know something, they'll just ask, and and they don't, I don't think they have as many preconceived ideas about what's supposed to be happening or what's appropriate behavior. They just don't know yet. Uh, and so they're, uh, one of them is actually a lot more, um, curious and a lot more sort of active and just trying to push every button and pull every lever and, and do these different things. And the other one's very, has a very different play style and he's more about, well, let me learn the rules and then let me apply the rules to, to what my character is doing in the mm-hmm. game. And both of them have that sort of different play style, but they both are very much more willing to just do anything in the game. I, mm-hmm. I think in some ways adults are much more um, inhibited in mm-hmm. how they – I think they, they put expectations on themselves about what they think the game is supposed to be and how they're supposed to act, and they have a lot more inhibitions coming in, I think. Do you, find... do you think some of that oh, – Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, do you think that – if they'd come from a background of watching people play D&D on streams, they'd have more of a sort of preconceived notion of what the game is supposed to be like. They might. I don't really have any basis to make that assessment, though. Mm. Um, I just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that these kids don't play video games and they don't watch streams because sure, I'm, yeah. their, their co-worker is a mm. friend of mine. So, or their, their, <laughs> their mom is my co-worker and a friend of mine. So mm. I, you know, I know that they, I mean, I've, you know, I've known them for, you know, since they were like six. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I know what they're sort of any fantasy they get is in movies and books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and not not sort of online. They, they don't have any opportunity to sort of go online and look up. Well, what is this thing in D&D and what is whatever? So it, they're kind of uh, they're in this enclosed area where they have a player's handbook. They have the starter set and they have me. Sure. <laughs> and. Uh, I think it would. I think it would be different if they watched streaming, um, but I don't really know how much different it would be. So, so my my question is, and I hope you're okay with the fact that we're going to eat up all your time asking you questions. Sure, about yeah, no, that's fine, that's fine. <laughs> Actually, I, I've I've had plans for a while of doing a, a whole advice episode on on uh-huh. uh, running games for young people. So uh, it's good <laughs> that you're getting that experience for that episode someday. Uh, <laughs> um, but um, do you ever find that? They, because their exposure to to fantasy is through you know books and movies and TV shows or whatever, um, that they have expectations of like kind of crazy over the top things that they want to be able to do. Like, do they ever try to act the superhero with that their that their you know their level of character is not really that level yet, or any of that ever happen? Well, I want to say no, but then I'm thinking back to the very first session when they were first level and uh, one of them jumped down a 10 foot hole mm-hmm. from one floor to the next uh, onto a, rel- a relatively dangerous into a relatively dangerous area. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't see that as trying to be over the top cinematic. No. Yeah. Um, but it was definitely probably that 
but see that that's that's where I say the the less inhibition comes in because I think that um, an, a, a player who's had a lot more experiences just in life right. and with the game maybe and with watching uh, streams and whatnot, they probably would not have jumped down that hole. Sure. They probably would have said, "Okay, well, let me try to find some other way." And this this kid was just like, "I'm I want down there. I'm going." Or somebody who I, knew I, the, I knew the wait. rules a little better and knew that that fall could do enough damage to take him out. Yeah, well, I mean, but I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I warned him. I said, look, you know, uh, here's how, because, you know, part of what I'm doing is teaching them the game. So I said, you know, uh, you know, that when you, if you jump down 10, you know, 10 feet uh, and you're not careful about it, you might take falling damage. And here's what falling damage is. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so he knew, he knew the consequences and the possible consequences. No, I'm just, I'm curious. Sometimes uh, when I've run with um, younger kids, Mm-hmm. Um, well, not younger kids, but but you know, teenagers or whatever. Um, yeah, but I want the listeners to know what I mean. Um, so, so sometimes uh, well, we have I, listeners. Holy crap. I, that's that's the rumor. Uh, there's two or three, but we have at least one of them on tonight. So, uh, <laughs> um, no, but sometimes when you're when I'm running with teenagers, I will find that they've their base of uh, of knowledge of sort of fantasy and what have you comes from. Um, media consumption that where characters are doing like crazy over the top things all the time, right? It's comic books or it's anime or whatever. Uh, and so they, they get a little bit disappointed when they're like, Oh, I, that guy's going to starts to pull out his weapon. I, I run up and stab him in the head real, real fast before he can get his weapon out. And what, and, and then they're a little disappointed when that's not how it plays out. And so I was just curious if you had that experience or not, but um, I think, not really. Okay. I, I think um, they're and and but I don't know if that's just because they don't have that natural tendency or if it's because, you know, we've only played like four sessions. Right. So I think it's still, you know, they're still in the we're trying to relax into this and, and really learn how to play the game. Yeah. See, uh, see, and my... I think as as time goes on, they're going to get, you know, more and more willing to sort of, sure. you know. See that my uh, when I've done it, when I've taught teenagers, it's always been they've always been already been uh, overly influenced and overly relaxed because a lot of times it's me DMing with a group of you know ten or twenty kids, <laughs> so uh, yeah. they're hearing they're hearing whispers in their ears of of all the things they should do and all the crazy ideas right. and whatever. So anyway, yeah. Uh, so anyway, you were talking about your game. You've got five more minutes. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I so so that's one thing, and I I mean I don't mind talking about that the whole time. I mean it, it's it's just a ton of fun, and I think it's instructive for you know so i'm a, this i'm you know i think i've said on this show before i'm a big proponent of you know changing up the way that you do things uh and and you know gming or dming a game for different people gming or dming a different game a different genre or a different type of game mm-hmm. uh you know being a player every once in a while if you're a dm most of the time uh trying to design new things like new classes or new races and just see how it works so that you could sort of feel what the work of that is like i'm a big proponent of all those things in some combination like i don't expect everyone to do everything um but i think also i add to my list you know DMing a game for new players mm-hmm. is an interesting perspective and DMing a game for new young players is even more so. Mm-hmm. And just like anything else, I mean, you know, you're the questions you're asking. I mean, I think if the group was different, it would be, a, you know, I mean, it's just like any game, it's group dependent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even my adult groups are, are you know, they be, behave differently uh, and they're sort of a, you know, every group has its sort of its way of being, and mm-hmm. and this group definitely has that as well already, even though we've only met for four sessions. So, 
Um, so there's two other things I want to mention uh, before my time is up. And those two things are, number one, the other thing that I've been doing is uh, getting my sort of, I've, I've got a sort of homebrew world setting document um, where that I'm going to use for uh, for my new streaming game, which is going to take place on Sundays, which is uh, that that uh, that show where I have some new players and uh, we go through a game and we we game for a couple of hours and then we talk about the game for an hour, mm-hmm. uh, okay. which which is named D and D Brief. And uh, I don't know if you, if you saw on Twitter, I was uh, I was uh, stumping for players <laughs> a month and a half yeah. ago. So. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we've got some, we've got four or five really good players. Uh, I've got a new logo that has been commissioned and that is really cool. And so that, that is taking place in my homebrew world. I, I had to make a tough decision about whether I wanted to run it in the Forgotten Realms and maybe get some, uh, some people in the audience that might feel like it's familiar, or if I wanted to run it in my homebrew world because I'm more comfortable with that. Um, and I decided on the latter. Mm-hmm. Because uh, just because you know, um, but w- but the other thing I'm doing then is I'm going to start releasing some of those things from that document. So I have a couple of uh, oh. races that are that are mm. from my setting. I'll I'll release on Drive Through RPG, and I have a couple of classes that uh, class adjustments that I'm doing. And so there's there's sort of things like that that I'm working on that that will be part of that whole sort of. Uh, run up to making that whole thing happen and so uh just as a let me totally plug this so look for that show starting uh in mid-may we're going to actually run our first session and first stream probably on the 19th so a couple weeks from now and then it will be released Uh, as a podcast later it will be a podcast later so uh it's being hosted by the don't split the podcast network which is run by friend of the show james interqueso yeah uh, I, I can so, I consider the the, the entire yeah. DSP and network to be friends of the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. Uh, and so that's so that's that's part of that. So uh, they're kind enough to host it on their stream because when I was first thinking of this idea, I had no idea about anything having to do with Twitch or mm-hmm. uh, or or OBS or anything. Although I've learned a ton, and I could probably do it on my own. It's really good to have the support that they're offering me. So that's mm-hmm. really good. Um, and uh, and I just want to encourage people to take a look at that. And um, and also, you know, just go check out the other people on that network because they're they're really cool too. Yep. Agreed. Uh, You've still got a and, couple minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> if I want to mention anything, um, is this the the like... homebrew setting that you've talked about before with like the giant pillars and the cities on them and and all that? Yes, except I want to run a seafaring game, so there had okay. to be a massive calamity that took out most of the land masses. Oh, I see. So we, we we jumped forward in the setting, much as much as happens with uh, published settings from other companies that we know about. When the setting and... <laughs> moves forward, it's yeah. a new edition. <laughs> yep. Um, so that's that's what my setting did. Uh, uh, so that was the other conundrum, right? Uh, because because I was already planning on running a seafaring campaign, and then they announced uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. And I got really excited, mm. but I thought, you know, I don't need to wait for that to come out because I already know what the story is or, or at least what's ha- what the events are that are happening that are going to lead to uh, the players being interested in, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, it's it, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited about it. But, yes, it is that same setting, but uh, some stuff happened. And 
it doesn't look like that anymore. So if people want some background on that setting, they should go back and listen to the entire back catalog of behind the DM screen oh, episodes. <laughs> I guess not the entire episode. Cause you didn't start off with us. Did you? Uh, well, no. Cause yeah, I took Randall's place. You took Randall's place. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, and I don't always run there. Uh, I I uh, I've I have been running in the, that setting for a really long time, but um, I stopped running in that setting, and I sort of was just running in. Gen- I was running in the Nintor Vale for mm-hmm. a lot of time during Fourth Edition, mm-hmm. uh, but um, yeah, so yeah, you know, right on. It's it's good stuff. I like it. It's uh, but it's it's going to be fun to release a product actually and see uh, you know what happens and mm-hmm. see how people respond to it and see if it if you know you know it's it's good to just get oh there's my timer see mm-hmm. uh it's it's good to just get you know people and and get their you know it's one of the reasons why i like to do a lot of play testing because you get to see the process and then you see the importance of right. what it means to have something play tested you know and, mm-hmm. and just to put something out there and to, and to get feedback on it is really good mm-hmm. so right on very good go. And that's that's the world of Sam's gaming these days. We look yeah. for we look forward to to that episode, or I look forward to that that the the first episode releasing for that. So yeah, yeah. Totally. it'll be fun. All right, uh, before we move on to my turn, I want to mention our sponsor for this episode is Noble Knight. Noble Knight is an, a brick and mortar game store that has an online store as well. They specialize in out of print products, but also carry all the the latest and greatest. Uh, and because I came down to prepare for this episode about five minutes before we started recording, uh, I don't have a pick of the episode. So, uh, uh, but they've got all kinds of great stuff. Uh, in fact, I haven't looked, but I bet you could probably find the so at least some of the older um, modules from the Salt Marsh uh, adventures that they've converted um, in the original. If you wanted to check those out, so I'm just guessing they're available. Yeah, but I, I bet. But I, I bet but you I bet could. they are. So, uh, Sam, you want to put 15 minutes on the clock for me? Sure. All right. So the, the last time um, I talked about my game, I think I hadn't really run my D&D game for a while. Uh, and so I talked a lot about Torg and whatever. But we finally got enough people back around to, to play my game, uh, to play the normal D&D campaign. And I came to the realization through talking with some of my players that um, with taking some time off to work on my dissertation and taking some time off because I'm going on a three week vacation soon and I'll be moving then this summer. Um, we've got at most like, uh, well now it's like three sessions left, um, that we're going to be able to get together as a group, uh, at least with me. Um, I, I'm, I imagine they'll continue getting together and playing after I'm gone. Um, but somebody also have to run the game. 
so so I realized I needed to um, to s- kind of skip over all of the side ideas I had that would, were going to sort of flesh out the this campaign. Uh, and so uh, the last time I think I talked about my D&D campaign, um, Sam and Mike were helping me come up with ideas about how to do the big uh, out of the abyss demon lord battle royale that happens at the end of that adventure where they, they summon – yeah, they summon all the demon lords together and then watch them all fight it out and then they just sort of take out whoever's left over. Uh, and then I was kind of trying to figure out what do I do? What are the players doing during that time? And, um, how am I going to sort of pat it out to, to hit their, the, you know, be able to break up the sessions in the right way and whatever. And so they recommended, Hey, wouldn't that be a great time for the queen of chaos to attack, um, from the rod of seven parts adventure. And it turns out, yeah, that's perfect because like her whole reason for helping manipulate the situation to bring the demon Lords around was to act as a distraction so she could gather up the pieces of the rod and the world wouldn't be looking at her. Well, at that point, the party has six of the pieces of the rod and what bigger distraction is there than a giant demon Lord battle Royale. And so she can attack them from behind um, and go for the, the rod at that point. And so, and so that's what happened. And then we actually managed to play out both battles uh well it kind of plays out in three parts right so we did the um first we did the battle of of the pcs versus uh the queen of chaos um and then we did the demon lord battle and i had uh printed off uh copies uh you know of the stat blocks for all of the demon lords that were going to be there. And then I pulled a bunch of extras from, uh, there's a demon lord, Rakdos is in Ravnica. And I pulled a bunch of demon lords that I liked from the uh, Cobalt Press publications, Tome of Beasts and Creature Codex. And so there were enough demon lords that every member of the party, every every player was able to play two different demon lords. And I let them wow. play them. And, I, and so I spent the entire battle just sort of sitting back and following along as they were like, oh, I cast this spell. So then I'd flip to the page and make sure they did it right and whatever. Um, but I just got to sort of sit back and watch them all fight each other as these different demon lords. Uh, it's a shame that. shame Mike's not here because that's lazy DM to the max. Oh, it? it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Uh, and as it turns out, like the the adventure assumes, and I kind of assumed that uh, Demogorgon, who's the, easily the most powerful of all the demon lords, probably ends up winning, or everybody teams up against Demogorgon. Well, it turned out nobody teamed up against Demogorgon, and he didn't end up winning. <laughs> he ended up getting huh. second place in the battle royale. It was actually one of the Kobold Press demon lords that won, uh, Typhon. Uh, the I think it's the father of monsters. This is giant. Uh, think like. Um, Mesopotamian um, male Medusa creature, like with the the snake body and and the uh, you know the human upper body and whatever. Um, but it turns out he has a burrowing speed and none of the rest of them do. So <laughs> the first thing he did in round one was he immediately burrowed like a hundred feet down, <laughs> and then just hung out down there for like two rounds before he you know burst out of the ground halfway through the battle and when the half the, the demon lords were down and so he's coming into it fresh and everybody else has been fighting for half the battle already um so and, and even then even then it was him and De- demogorgon and it was not a foregone conclusion it was it was still tight uh and then and then i got to take the the stat block back from the player who was playing typhon and then part three was the battle between the party and Typhon, but it wasn't nearly as as easy sort of cleanup as they were hoping it was going to be because they just went through a tough battle with the Queen of Chaos, which used up a lot of their resources. Um, 
So and and it, the timing worked out just about right. Both battles sort of felt like they went about the same amount of time, and so they wrapped up around the same time and, and all that kind of stuff. It took a lot longer to get to that battle because I expected it to happen in one session, and then have to split it into a couple a couple of sessions. Um, you know, I figured they'd do some prep and then do like one of those battles, and then we'd do their other one the next session and whatever. Uh, but it turned out that their their prep session before the battle took the entire like six hour session. Um, you know, they they did the ritual that I was expecting them to do and so the one guy lost his eye we talked about the ritual at one point as well right yeah uh, to summon frazzer blue uh mm-hmm. and so they did that and it went exactly as i was hoping it would go and that worked out really well and the guy uh the the neblin character lost his eye now now frazzer blue is hiding inside of his head uh and so he mm-hmm. was so fraz wasn't at the battle royale because he was hiding inside the the deep gnomes uh head um, and so that all happened and then they're like, okay, well, let's go set up the battlefield and be prepared for it and whatever. And they took the, the main component piece of the, of the summoning ritual, which is this, the heart of darkness from out of the abyss. And they hid it in the ice cause it was a giant ice cavern that they decided to have the battle in. Uh, and then like wanted to come in and do some like preparatory stuff. Uh, the, the, the deep gnome, the Svrfneblin is a an illusionist and he really wanted to play with this uh i think it's was it mirage arcana it's it's oh mirage arcane yeah 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 or it's it's one he's got some sort of one of his higher level spells where he basically over uh, over a mile area he puts uh, an illusory terrain over things and because of his illusion abilities his his illusionist um build abilities he can then manipulate the, uh, any illusion and change its features and uh, make parts of the illusion real, right? So, nice. he, so he basically wanted to put an illusion of the exact terrain that already existed on top of the terrain the day before, and it lasts for like days. And so then he, they could show up and do the battle the next day, and he could just sit there and manipulate. Oh, we we need a pool of lava underneath that creature. Boom! There's a pool of lava <laughs> underneath that creature. Oh, we need a, a big wall to block the horde, and so he can make a big wall and block the horde. Like so, he wanted to set all that up. It was and it, and it like and the party like fought over it and debated it and strategized around it and like it was a big thing, right? Like, like happens a lot of times with groups. And I'm sitting back there the whole time thinking, well, well, one, this is a really easy session to run, to run them arguing with each <laughs> other, uh, and two, like. I get what he's like. It's not necessarily the best strategy that he's going for because it did tip off that there. That, so the cavern was a uh, a white dragon, an ancient white dragon's lair. It tipped off the dragon that they were there, and then the dragon found the heart of darkness they buried in the ice, and and it was so it wasn't the smartest strategy necessarily. But I also get mm-hmm. like this guy's been working up to this level of illusionist. He wants to play with his new toys, you know. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so they and so he did, and and they did it, and it all worked out. Uh, but then they decided that they, they didn't want to leave the dragon behind. So they fought the dragon before they even did, like the day before they even did the Demon Lord battle. I, I thought there'd be a dragon running around in the middle of the battle trying to survive. So <laughs> lo and behold, they were already gone. Uh, so that all happened. And then my last, my, my last session that just happened a couple days ago is I'm imagining my penultimate session. I actually anticipated that, that um, last Saturday could have been my last session. Um, but things went a little bit longer and, and whatever. 
So this is the last part of the Rod of Seven Parts. They had a couple of weeks, uh, you know, a couple of months of downtime after the Demon Lord battle. And I sort of sort of advanced the timeline and told them sort of what was going on in the world as a result of the big earth shattering things. And I set up a bunch of the loose threads and, and, and uh, sort of mentioned what was going on with the loose threads that existed that we weren't going to address and sort of setting up that the world is continuing on even when the campaign ends. And there's still stuff, you know, there's still dangling things in this world that need to be dealt with. But the big threat right now is Thera's done slash Miska the Wolf Spider um, is trying to escape and and sending all kinds of horrible creatures after you because you have the key to unlock its uh, its prison. Uh, and so finally, after a couple of months, they uh, they decided to go. Uh, they were told by one of the character has this shadowy sort of mentor figure. Um, and so this shadowy mentor figure showed up and said, okay, it's time for you to go. Uh, I, you need to head out to Pandemonium tomorrow. But I added in this bit of, about how there's no way to get from this world to Pandemonium. So you have to go through this uh, this chaos beyond these rifts that exist in the world, the, this energy source or whatever came and, and tore these rifts in reality. And this, ener this chaos energy has been leaking into it, which is why Earth turned into post-apocalyptic fantasy Earth mm. and, and, and mm. all that. And so they had to go through the rift into this, this chaos place, which is basically the, the Lovecraftian sort of, you know, um, dimension between or beyond the stars sort of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there's all kinds of weird things happening there. And, and then they travel from there into Pandemonium where Miska slash Therizdun is imprisoned. And, and I sort of uh, explained that, well, the prison of law that's been holding in Therizdun, right, um, is, is actually being powered by draining his own life force. And so he's been there for aeons, and that's why he's now trapped in his Miska form and is thus actually... Uh, you know, defeatable because he's not, you know, this giant God that all the gods had to team up on to, to take down. Um, and so he's actually defeatable at this point. They got into the Citadel of Chaos. It's got a tear torn into it because this, the last part of the Rod of Seven Parts is actually inside the prison with him. And then when they passed it through, it tore a hole in the prison. Uh, they get inside. It's this giant, like, um, it's this castle that's like built at larger than giant size. And, uh, and so they, they immediately, because of the rod pieces, like pull to the next rod piece, they kind of knew where, the, which tower they needed to go to. So they jumped, uh, they were being escorted on a, on a wind chariot by, uh, one of the Dukes of Akka, which created the rods. Uh, and so they, ju they jumped off of the chariot and feather fall down onto the bridge to go straight to that tower and skip over the rest of it, which is fine. Cause I'm trying to get to the end. Right. Um, and honestly, most of the, the Citadel of, of chaos is pretty empty. Like they described that this place goes on for like miles and miles of tunnels and most of it's just completely empty and, and devoid of anything. So, so fine. Let's skip to the, let's skip to the end and we'll do the interesting parts there. They run into a, a Garistro and Succubus who the Garistro is like throwing rocks down the thing. And the Succubus is like, Hey, um, I'm trying to get get Miska Thera's done to, to join the blood war. So I will totally take him off your hands. You don't have to worry about him, but I do need you to get rid of his Lieutenant because that's the guy who's convincing him not to join me. Uh, and they're like, yeah, so I don't think so. We're not going to make a deal with a succubus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, our plan is to get here and kill Miska. So forget you. We don't need to deal with you. And then they, they killed the succubus and Gristro. So fine. Uh, yep. th then they, they got into the actual apartments of Miska. Uh, they found the last piece of the rod. They're like, this is way too easy. Cause it's like, it's all practically unguarded except that there's, 
Um, there's spider fiends, these these demons that follow Miska, sort of spying on them through, um, you know, peepholes and whatever, invisibly from nearby rooms. So they get the last piece of the rod. They take it, take it out of the room. They they start investigating. It's so like this isn't the right thing, right? This is some sort of trick, because it was way too easy to get this thing. And so they start investigating it and casting identify on it. And while they're in the middle of the ritual, that's when the spider fiends attacked, and they gathered up all the other spider fiends that are in the area to attack. Miska, meanwhile, as, as the adventure is written, totally knows everything that's going on and doesn't want to interfere because he wants the rod to be reassembled. It's the only way for him to reclaim his power and get out. So, so all of his minions are attacking, but Miska's just sitting back waiting for the whole thing to, to finish and for them to put the rod together. Then he's going to attack. So that'll end up being the next session. So they ended up fighting the, the battle with the spider fiends, including the lieutenant, the second in command. Um, and I, I realized if if Miska as is Thera's done, uh, I, and I was trying to prep a little bit ahead of time, um, the original Miska from second edition, and so and the same thing is true with the lieutenant. They have a shape change ability, uh, and so I'm like, well, you know what hits the right CR for what kind of things they should be able to shape shape change into, the the elemental princes that follow Thera's done, right? And that oh, would, cool. and, and while normally you can't necessarily just shape change into a specific, you know, individual, like it makes so much perfect sense to tie the theme together that Miska and Thera's done are the same thing. And so they yeah. fought through this battle. They're fighting the Lieutenant and the Lieutenant's like, you know, this is not going great for me. So now it's time to go ahead and turn into Yancy Ben. And that's where we stopped the session. <laughs> so, nice. so they're fighting a spider fiend. He teleports behind him. And while he teleports behind him, he shape changes into Yancey Ben. And it's like, okay, and we'll pick that up next time. And then after that, they'll, <laughs> they'll assemble the rod. And then they'll fight Miska. And Miska will pull the same trick, except he can actually, he's high enough CR. He can turn into any of the four uh, elemental princes. So, uh, and he can, shape, he can cast shape change enough times that he could actually go through all four of them. So they have to fight Miska and all four of the elemental princes in the same battle. <laughs> it should be fun and that'll be how it wraps up but that's that's my session my uh last several sessions i i, I t said on twitter it was going to be exciting because there was a lot going on um and yeah. we're hitting a lot of climax here and i think one more session will wrap up this and i think we're going to do that session in a couple of weeks then i think i've got one more session with my group and we'll we'll probably start something new uh, and then I'm moving. And so my big question for you guys is, uh, anybody know any, any gamers in South Bend, Indiana? Because that's where I'm headed to. And <laughs> I have posted on just about every website I know to post on, uh, you know, except for maybe one or two. And, um, you know, I've, I've looked everywhere I know where to look, except at the actual game stores uh, that are there because I'm not there yet. So um, if there's anybody listening who lives in the South Bend, Indiana area or knows gamers in the South Bend, Indiana area, have them email the Tome Show at gmail.com. Uh, I would love to put together a group. I've got I've already got an idea for my next like two campaigns. So so uh, I've got lots of ideas for for DMing, um, but I need a group. So that's me. I went over my time, didn't I? Uh, only by a couple seconds. Yeah, I'll take it. Unless you guys got questions. Yeah. How, how I'm going to sound again like Mike here, but how much of the battle did you do as theater of the mind that especially the massive demon lord one was that all? Yeah, so um, for for the battle against the queen of chaos, it was all theater of the mind. Yeah. Uh, for the demon lords, I, I pulled out as many of the appropriately sized, although I don't have the right minis to represent all those demon lords. Uh, and mm. I decided, well, this can be mapped out because 
there's no features for me to draw on the map, right? Okay. <laughs> I, I just, I, I literally just sort of put a dot on, uh, on one spot and said, okay, that's the center of the summoning. Everybody start yourself somewhere near that. And then they did. Sure. And then it was just sort of a big open blank map for them to, to fight each other on. And, and it became important to some degree in terms of like, sometimes you'd have a, a Baphomet or a Yanogu who's, um, you know, going to attack whoever's closest to him because they're just going crazy and frenzying. Or Rockdos realizes that all of his abilities, the player who plays Rockdos, who's really excited because he's a big magic player, is like, oh, Rockdos is awesome. And Rockdos is like one of the highest CR uh, demon lords on the battlefield, uh, except that all of Rockdos's abilities are like manipulative and charm based. Well, it turns out yeah. de- demon lords are immune to that stuff. <laughs> so it's like, oh, this is why Rakdos lives in Ravnica and not in the Abyss. Because <laughs> he can't affect anybody in the Abyss. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so, yeah. So that part was mapped out, but it wasn't a complicated map. What uh, about for, and, and, for and, the illusion? Mm-hmm. For the illusion battle where they were kind of changing the terrain? Because that's something I've always been a bit wary of. Mm-hmm. Is that when people can start manipulating terrain in that way? Well, and so I and find it... Sh- I find it's actually easier to do that in theater of the mind because I can just sort of describe yeah. what happens without having to change the actual like physical mapped terrain um, mm-hmm. in, in front of people and try to make sense of it. Um, you know, you, you kind of have to work with them. And, and I kind of uh, illusion is one of those schools of magic that I think DMs are a little gun shy of because it is so variable and you never quite know what they're going to do. Uh, and they and they could do like anything, and and it could be crazy and hard to adjudicate. Um, I've yeah. sort of taken the attitude of, um, I mean, this is a guy, this is a character who learned to be a wizard from Frazer Blue, who's the the demon lord of of deception and illusions. So it only yeah, makes yeah. sense that they become an illusionist. So I'm like, I I, I decided at the very beginning when that happened that I'm just going to take the attitude of of when possible, uh, you know, when in doubt, side with the the player. Right. Uh, and so that and that works out pretty well. Like if it means that something goes down a little faster than expected, then, you know, fine, whatever. That's no big deal for me. I'm still having fun because we're telling our story and, and they're getting to do crazy cool things. Totally. So. Cool. All right. Nice. Anything else for me? I don't think so. I just wish you good luck for uh, finding a, a nice group when, uh, when you get to where you're going. Yeah. So uh, once, once know, again, any, in, anybody in, listening? In the, in the, <laughs> Indie traditionally has a, a large uh, population of gamers. Just you know, Indie does, but does does South Bend, South Indiana? Because yeah, that's, I mean, um, I you know. know, a lot of the traditional places that people say, you know, go check out this website, go check out that website, and I do, and there's not a lot of coordination happening in that area specifically. Uh, now it yeah. could be that there's our, I mean, like Notre Dame is there, and so they've got their own, you know, campus gaming group and. Um, there's like three game stores in the area, so I know there's got to be some uh, decent number, um, decent amount of gaming because it's a much smaller community than where I currently live. But it's got more game stores than where I currently live. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so there's got to be some gamers around. I just got to figure out, you know, how to find them and how to uh, find the ones who need new, needed a DM and start playing some games. So, yeah. Do you know uh, Lowell Francis? Do you know who that is? I don't. He he is he's a friend of mine. He used to be on the Play on Target podcast with me. Oh, okay. Uh, he's now part of the Gauntlet group, the Gauntlet podcast group. Okay. Um, and they, I mean, they play a lot of other games. They don't they don't actually play a lot of D and D. But I think he's in. I mean, I know he's in Indiana. I don't want to say right. what town he's in. Uh, but I think he's somewhere close to where you're going to be. Okay. Um, and so you might want to reach out to the Gauntlet guys or go to their go to their. They have a website, I think, with forums. And just say, hey, I'm moving here. Anybody know any game groups or what's the what's the best place to go look for a game right group? On. 
Sweet. So we'll do. Yeah. Would you would you consider Adventurers League, or do you not really think that's your? Uh, so I don't know that I. I'm not a. Po- I love the idea of Adventurers League, and I love it, the the. I love the opportunity to play in Adventurers League. I don't have usually the time. Uh, hmm. or permission for my wife to spend a weekly get time <laughs> playing playing Adventures League. Mm-hmm. Um, but so my my thought at this point is that I might actually seek out Adventures League going on in the area and use that as a means of sort of finding and recruiting people uh, and meeting sure. people. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. That said, uh, the three game stores that I know of, none of them are listing Adventures League specifically on their websites. All right. So I don't know who's doing it or when uh, to to figure that yeah. out. But when I get there, I'll just drive around a little bit and and stop by all of them and and you know see what I can do. Yeah. Right on. Nice. All right. Before we move on to uh, the star of tonight's show, uh, <laughs> I want to remind people that if you want to support the show, there are some easy ways to do so. You can head over to uh, thetomeshow.com and click on the links to Amazon or the DMs Guild that are available in every single post for every single episode. If you click on those, you get the exact same experience, but a, a small percentage of whatever you spend heads over to the Tome Show, and then that is used to uh, either get review materials or to uh, reward all of the people who do wonderful things for the show. Um, so that's that. Josh Perry. Hi. Is, is your last uh, name okay? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, Shall I do a quick <laughs> intro or just jump right into yeah, it? Yeah. Why don't you tell people a little bit about who you are and then you can talk about your game because I'm, yeah. I'm curious about your game. Somebody recommended you because they wanted to hear about your game and I'm like, oh, okay, but I don't know anything <laughs> about his game. <laughs> so. I, w- I want to I hear about your game too because I have some of your products on DMs. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, so I'm not going to start your timer till you're done introducing yourself. How about that? Okay. Yeah. I'll be brief about it. Um, so most people will probably know me as JVC Parry, which is kind of my publishing name. Uh, I do a lot of freelance RPG writing for third-party companies like Lawsmith, but I also publish myself on DMs Guild, uh, all under JVC Parry. Uh, that's my name on all the social medias as well. I've appeared on a, a couple of other podcasts, including um, James Intracasso's Tabletop Babble, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we've just started a streamed game called Many Dreadfuls with uh, a couple of other DMs Guild creators and some friends. Very so that's, nice. Sweet. That's where I'm at at the minute. <laughs> All right. So uh, Sam's going to put 15 minutes on the clock and you can tell us about your game. And we'll cool. interrupt you and ask questions as, as appropriate. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> so my, the game I'm running at the minute is for kind of half of a group that I ran my most recent campaign with. So for the last, uh, I think, three or four years, we ran a massive campaign. Uh, I think it probably had about 11 players come in and out of it over those years. But when it finished, quite a lot of those players had moved away. So I started running a new campaign that I had been working at writing for publishing on the DMs Guild, uh, which I'm calling Call from the Deep. It's set in the Forgotten Realms. It's kind of a pirate slash Lovecraftian horror type adventure uh, and it focuses mostly around uh, a group a kind of a cult group in the forgotten realms called the kraken society i don't mm-hmm. know if you guys are familiar yeah i'm a, I'm a realms fan from way back so I, I know the kraken society sure so it's massive spoilers i guess for for what happens <laughs> in the adventure the the kraken society as i guess most people kind of know is is run by slock the, the kind of psychic spellcasting kraken 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in this particular campaign, a nautiloid hive ship of uh, mind flayers has crashed into the Forgotten Realms and the elder brain of that community of mind flayers has taken over Slark Rathal. So with hmm. with it, all of its disciples, they managed to stun uh, the Kraken and sort of graft this elder brain called Zelix Four onto the Kraken itself. Um, and because of the kind of psychic connections with the Kraken, with all these agents across the Sword Coast, that then means that the Mind Flayers and this elder brain have been able to manipulate all those agents to their yeah, they, will. they they instantly got a whole like you know network of of people. Totally, that, yeah. yeah. Cool. Exactly. Um, so the main way that this manifests kind of in chapter two is on three major cities. So in uh, Neverwinter, Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate, pirates swarm in an attack. And these pirates have been in turn manipulated by the Kraken Society uh, into doing this because the leader of the fleet is originally from Purple Rocks, which is kind of like the stronghold of mm. Slark Rethel, the Kraken. Um, so my players went through and they've defended each of the cities to some greater or lesser extent, uh, the most recent of which was Baldur's Gate. So in Baldur's Gate, did you guys ever play the old Baldur's Gate uh, PC games? I did. Oh, yes. Do you remember Ramazith Flamesinger? He was quite a minor character in it. but I don't know. Uh, so, hmm. No. So he just, he was kind of a wizard who had a... Uh, uh, who's got a wizard's tower in Baldur's Gate. Okay. And he was uh, kind of an interesting character because he had like, uh, so inside of his tower was lots of different levels. So there was like a garden level and a marine level and stuff like that. Uh, and the notes that I found while researching on him were pretty pretty sparse, but they hinted that he was kind of a marine uh, ecologist or mm. knew a lot about the oceans. So I thought that's a really interesting character to tie into this campaign. So... In Baldur's Gate, the pirates are attacking almost as a distraction so that members of the Kraken Society can go and kidnap this wizard and use his knowledge of the seas of the Forgotten Realms to help the Mind Flayers build up their sort of army of defense. So my players ran in, uh, managed to rescue Ramazith as he was being kidnapped, essentially, um, and fend off the pirates that had come to intercept, basically. Uh, and then this most recent session was them helping Ramazith out with a quest. He no longer felt safe in Baldur's Gate, as you might imagine. So wanted to be taken to Candlekeep, where he had some contacts, uh, some of whom might be able to help out the players with their own sort of personal goals and with the overarching campaign. Um, so it started with a bit of combat as... Uh, the Kraken Society won't let it happen without, you know, without resistance. Uh, so they're level eight. I threw an assassin. Um, I threw a Sawagin Baron, as the Sawagin are quite a major part of the campaign. Uh, a giant, the, you know, the starved hill giant from Volo's Guide? Uh, yes. I think it's so. kind of like. They're like crazed, so they don't have full control over their actions. They're almost like under a confusion spell, so you roll to see what they do at the start of each turn. It's quite fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one, this giant had attacked while a group of halflings were on a little exercise jog going around. So the players immediately ran in to help 
uh, and managed to save the halflings. But in the meantime, they kind of neglected Ramazif, which is when the Kraken Society agents stuck, struck. And then they uh, grabbed him and tried to take him to a, a uh, safe house, basically, in the hills. Uh, so the characters then had to, like, follow them back. And thankfully, we've got a monk and a rogue, both of whom seem to have an insane speed. Uh, when they dash and use step of the wind and all that kind of thing, they've, I think they've got like 120 foot movement. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so they chase them back pretty easily. Um, but that actually turned out to be almost a deadly encounter by the time. I mean, two of them dropped, and just that assassin stat block is, is a powerful one. <laughs> right. So what was essentially meant to be a random encounter with a bit of story infused in. Uh, became quite a challenging combat, but that was—I think it was good. Uh, they enjoy the challenge of that kind of thing. So, yeah, and sometimes those, uh, you know, Mike oftentimes talked about this. I think with his uh, Tomb of Annihilation campaign, like you've got these random encounters, and if you can infuse that little bit of story with them, then whether they end up being easy or difficult, um, they still sort of help advance the story and make the right. make it all sort of feel a little bit more uh, like a fleshed out world. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have, well, the, thing, the thing is, as soon as you have a random encounter that kills somebody, but the random encounter really wasn't like it didn't bring any matter. new information, or it, did, yeah, it yeah. didn't really matter. That that feels like a really hollow loss right mm. you know so yeah absolutely yeah i i think i'm i'm the kind of dm that doesn't mind pulling the punches if i had to like i'm more right. i err on the side of story so if it looked like it was going to go that way though whether it would be in some serious trouble i i would have kind of you know dropped the hit points down a little bit or, right or, yeah. found a way to i had a question uh, about Baldur's gate and your use of Baldur's gate Sure. Um, you mentioned the use of the, and I forget his name, the wizard though, the marine biologist wizard. Ramazith, yeah. Do, do you, did you incorporate any sort of explanation as to how it is that he's still alive? Because it's been like a hundred plus years since, since yeah, the Baldur's yeah. Gate game. I kind of went the, uh, the Elminster route with it and that, you know, ma magical powers. He's managed to find some way to keep okay. himself alive for that long. <laughs> a series of potions of longevity and whatever. And... Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's a couple of... I really like to kind of do heavy research before I write a, an adventure for the DMs Guild because I really like to... You know, the reason that, in my opinion, it's so good is that we get use of all this IP that otherwise we mm -hmm. wouldn't have access to. Right. So to some extent, I think it's kind of... It's kind of selling yourself short if you don't really ingrain yourself in that world. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I do like to throw in these little uh, kind of side notes to characters that people might know from other other parts. Yeah, and if nothing else, it always helps the. To my mind, like as somebody who's been you know reading and learning about the Forgotten Realm since I was like eight, uh, mm -hmm. you know that that I I would throw when I run in the realms, I'll throw all kinds of like lore and things into it. And it yeah. may not be particularly relevant to the story that's going on right now. It may not be important to any of the players, but mm. I, I get this sense from them that what that the, the what that does is it makes the world feel more full. Um, yeah, totally. you know, because it, there's stories here that aren't just about us. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you should see the kind of side quest list that all of my characters have got. <laughs> <laughs> now, is, uh, the side quests, are they part of the adventure that you've written, or is it just something you've done because of, of the players that you've got? So it's kind of a mix. A lot of it is actually written in. So in chapter, in chapter three, I've kind of taken 
you know, have you, you guys have read Storm King's Thunder, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So in chapter three of Storm King's Thunder, there's this massive uh, section that's just essentially exploration along the Sword Coast. Right. Um, and some of those have suggested encounters that you can throw in. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I think they did a relatively poor job of it in Storm King's Thunder in that a lot of the side quests weren't, weren't really linked that well. Um, and I think a lot of people said they felt quite lost during that chapter of Storm Kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so didn't, I, they, didn't they take you pretty far ranging? Like they took you away from where the main action had been happening. To- yeah, right? yeah, they did. Am I yeah, remembering in that some right? Cases. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and they kind of, it was nice because they introduced these side storylines, but then when those side storylines took you like way south, when a lot of the action was in the north, it kind of kind of didn't make much sense. Right, right, right. Um, whereas in in what I've written, I've tried to make sure that although they are side quests, each one of them gives a kind of grain of uh, truth. So they end up building this brick by brick. Right. They end up building the picture of what's actually going on. Well, and so if and if you can, when you can tie that in, like if that side quest becomes a specific side quest about or for a specific character, then it becomes mm. all the more meaningful, right? Oh, yeah, totally. So I, I love the idea of factions. So I've thrown in loads of different faction quests for the Harpers and the Zentra and stuff like that. Right on. Did, you stick, um, did you stick with the original factions or did you add in your own factions or how did that I've work? I stuck with the original ones for the most part, I've included mm-hmm. some others that are in um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So, mm-hmm. uh, uh, is it the, the Grey Hands? I, I think in in uh, Waterdeep. Force Grey. Force Grey. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, also, uh, Jarl Axel makes an appearance in Luskin. Okay. <laughs> nice. Uh, so for Break and Death, there's some quests in there, although kind of harder to access, I guess, depending right, on the... Right, right, right. Well, what, to me, the big lesson out of Dragon Heist Waterdeep that I wish Watsi had learned earlier is that it's it's nice to have that core group of factions, but every mm. story you could customize the relevant factions, right? Uh, oh, totally, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that could be... That, then that brings a lot more life to the, the narrative um, if people are connected to it in that way, so... Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've tried to ensure that the quests are kind of diverse as well. So, like, as a Zenter in faction quests aren't just, like, assassinate this guy, steal this thing, you know. Mm. Right on. So, what, so, so are, is that up to where your, your group currently is? So, the session kind of... Uh, we played for a little while longer, so they got to Candlekeep with Ramazif, and he told them to seek out uh, this triton called Keros the Wanderer. Who they who he knew was kind of south of the Moonshades, somewhere between the Moonshades mm-hmm. and the Lanthra Isles. Um, well, part of the adventure is the party get ship uh, because you know players love having things. <laughs> um, right. So they took off in their ship, the Ocean Splendor, uh, and managed to find this Triton who kind of gave them this essential piece of information about Seaspawn, which linked the pirate attacks. Who some of the pirate crews were like Davy Jones style mm-hmm. Seaspawn creatures to Slarkrathal and the Purple Rocks. So although they don't really know about the Kraken yet, they do know they're, that something fishy is They're on is the trail, on the yeah. Rocks. Exactly, yeah. So you said that so, they're they're at a spot south of the Moonshades. Do they go there by way of the Moonshades, or do they not quite get to the Moonshades? They, they did. Um, okay. And this is what I was going to actually ask you guys okay. about. So they did to drop off passengers, because that's how they're affording to pay for their crew at the uh-huh. minute. Um, it's like running cruises, essentially, along the sword coast. <laughs> but also, one of my uh, characters is from the Moonshades. She's playing a half-elf 
who okay. is uh, from Gwynedd. Uh-huh. And she had a quest from the Emerald Enclave to go and meet with an archdruid on the Moonshades who might be able to help them out with some of the strange natural occurrences that have been going on, um, which are all related to Slotrethel and Purple Rocks. And they got so close to going, and I could tell she was really excited to kind of get this bit of her personal side quest done. But then the other party members kind of said, oh, well, let's get this done first. And then now I can see that the Triton, Keris the Wanderer, is going to send them in a different direction. So I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts about how to bring those mm. two together. How far away from the Moonshades are they? They're currently not that far. I mean, in their ship, they're only about two days away, I think. What, what, uh, would a bad storm that kind of sets them uh, off course and now they need to go in for repairs and that's the closest place to go work? Ah, uh, yeah, that's a good idea, actually, yeah. Or even, a, you know, maybe there's a monster attack or whatever. The same effect, though, right? Yeah, it has been. They've not really had a massive kind of monster attack their ship yet, so that could be a good... Right. Because, obviously, yeah, then the Lanthus South is, is kind of pirate territory, so not a good place to try and get repairs done. Right. So that might bring them back up to the moonshades, and then they're like, "Oh well, now we've got a uh, you know a few days or a week or whatever to to do to you know get repairs done. We might as well run off and do this other thing." Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Can you think of any good marine? This is one of the big troubles I've been having is that actually there aren't any massive marine creatures apart from the krakens. What level are they? Uh, they're about level eight at the minute, but they're pretty competent. Dragon turtle. Wise. Yeah, you think? Yeah, I I, um, I think my party was in my current campaign was eight or nine when they f- first encountered a dragon turtle in the uh, water okay. temple um, from um, what, nice. elemental uh, princes of the apocalypse, um, and 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 I mean it was it was definitely a challenge because they were in the middle of another fight too, uh, and so the dragon oh, turtle right. <laughs> definitely like challenged them and freaked them the heck out, but but they survived yeah. it so. Uh, and if, if nothing else, I mean, the dragon turtle might come up, uh, crack their hull, and then demand tribute, and then you know swim away once they give it. So that you know, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be a a, a massive combat. So. Yeah, yeah. I have the, actually got... the, oh, sorry. The the other thing I was going to say is the other thing you could do is you take the kraken and you just reskin it, right? Yeah, you, sure. You change what what it looks like to the players or to the PCs, and mm. then uh, switch out one of its really awesome attacks. You know. Um, yeah. There's also the Leviathan, isn't there? A Leviathan somewhere. Mm, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's, that's not it's not that powerful. It's kind of it's kind of weak. It's um, in uh, modern Canaan, so I think. Yeah. yeah. Although, it's, but it's it's a weird thing though, because it's more about like destroying coastal towns and not about mm, attacking yeah, ships. Kind of but what that what they could come up, come up against is instead of them needing repairs right off the bat, they could be sort of trying to go around an island or go around the cape of something, and a leviathan is attacking the town, mm. and they accidentally oh, yeah. get too close, and their right. ship does get their ship gets damaged. They have it. to they have to fix you know mm-hmm. they have to fix their ship and t- help the town. Yeah, 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 that'd work. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and I mean, on, and part of me is like. You've got this sort of larger Kraken-based story going on. If they ran into maybe even a younger or weaker Kraken or whatever at this point, um, mm. to, that, that also then serves the purpose of being like, oh, well, you know, this is what Krakens are about, but it was just a random encounter, so that's clearly not what this is all about, right? It sort of throws yeah, them off yeah. the scent a little bit, so it may not be horribly yeah. inappropriate to throw a Kraken at them. I was also thinking a combination of, like, uh, water and air elementals could sort of appear as a, a supernatural storm, you know, that they mm. have to deal with. 
So yeah, yeah, there's a lot of different directions a, that could go. I think there's like a CR. I think it's CR10 malformed Kraken and tails from the yawning portal. So that would there be a go. good kind of. Oh there yeah, it go. might be that. Yeah. Yep. You could also do something like a water terrasque, right? Mm. Um, or or <laughs> that might be do... above their challenge level, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I, I just mean in terms of threats that you want them to encounter at right. some point. Like there's yeah. there's not a lot of what I mean. Of course, I'm planning a seafaring campaign, and I learned the same thing. There is not a lot of water stuff. Well, there's not a lot no. of big um, water stuff. You can always throw hordes of Sahawagan and sure and Kortoa sure. Yeah. and and whatever right. yeah. you know, sea el- oh, yeah. elves and all that. Sure, sure. So, um, you, you I have started out quite a lot of new monsters for it as well, but no, I, right, I'm, I'm, I'm loath to use anything like that in a massive way because obviously it's all still playtest content. So yeah, I like right, to kind yeah, of yeah. try them out one by well, one. And you want something big that can like cause ship damage and it's hard to exactly, justify yeah. Sahawagan sort of, you know, you hoarding know, over and causing damage to the ship. Yeah. You could also just go giant jellyfish or something like a, a blue whale that yeah. is is actually a, just a beast that's relatively mm. benign, but you know, the ship's in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's that sort of thing where it does feel random, but then it, it allows you to sort of push them in a certain direction and mm. still be exciting. Or it feels yeah. random, but there was some psychic manipulation from yeah. the, from the yeah, mind like maybe, maybe that pot, that pot of whales is actually leaving its home territory because, you know, of what's going on with yeah. the Kraken and yeah. with the... Well, and that would bring them in to see the Archdruid anyway because that's the kind of thing that they're going to visit him about in the first yeah. place. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, that might be the way to go. Cool. Yeah, nice. Thanks. Sweet. Awesome. All right. So uh, that was that was your uh, time, right? Yep. Cool. Awesome. Uh, then I want to remind people one last time, if you want to support the show, uh, I mentioned Amazon and DMs Guild through the thetomeshow.com before, but you can also support us directly through Patreon at patreon.com slash thetomeshow, uh, and that money gets uh, that pays the bills and helps for upgrades and do, does all that kind of stuff. So um, feel free to support us in that way as well. And that is the end of this episode of Behind the DM Screen. I want to thank Josh for joining us. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great fun. We'll have to have you on more often if you're willing to stay up till what is it like two in the morning over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we get uh, uh, Jonathan Green will stay up until the wee hours of the morning because he's over in, in that area too. He's in the UK. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, so. I mean, it's worth it. <laughs> right on. Well, I'm glad. I'm <laughs> nice. glad it's worth it to you. I'm glad. Uh, yeah. I, I've certainly enjoyed <laughs> having you on, and uh, we'll have to maybe uh, invite you on in future episodes as well. So. Thanks. I hope I hope everybody enjoyed listening to to Josh's story and his campaign as well as Sam and I as usual. Uh, awesome. So, uh, any last announcements before I say goodbye? I don't think so. All right, I think we're good. Email me at thetomeshow at gmail.com for anything about the show or, you know, to let me know about friends you have in, in South Bend, Indiana that want to <laughs> play games. <laughs> I'm going to hit that hard. So anyway, uh, that nice. is the end of Behind the DM Screen. And thanks for listening. Say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.